Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News and Social Artistry. I'm your host, Dick Dalton, and each week we have the pleasure of talking with someone who is building a more humane world from the inside out. And this week, it's fun to go uh, back to my teaching days uh, a little bit and introduce you to Precious Hardy, who is a Lincoln University graduate and now a PhD candidate up at Mizzou in educational psychology. Good morning, Precious. Good morning. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on today. All right. Well, Precious, you come from East St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little more introduction about yourself? Uh, is whatever you'd like to say. Yes, absolutely. As you stated, I am from East St. Louis. And just for those out there who may not know where that is or what that is like, uh, East St. Louis is actually in Illinois. There's a big misconception that is in Missouri. It is not. It is in Illinois. It is a, how do I explain, a very impoverished community crime-written community, to be uh, quite honest, and, you know, violence and things of that sort. Uh, now, with that being said, there is some good in the community. There are good people in the community, uh, but I do not want to downplay just the, the economic, how disadvantaged uh, mm -hmm. the community is, I'll mm -hmm. say. So, yeah, I am from there. I, I've been there. I went to school there, K-12, mm -hmm. so... I, one of my guests uh, last summer was Joshua Peters from, uh, was a Lincoln grad, and he said uh, he grew up in East St. Louis and actually went back and did some mentoring over there. That's amazing. That is amazing. And I think we need more of that. I think we need more people that's from the city that go out, gain knowledge, and bring it back to the city to move the people forward. So I'll say when I graduated from Lincoln, I initially went to China. And I was over there for several months, I was teaching, uh, and we may talk about that a little bit later. But once I came back from China, I actually did go back to East St. Louis, uh, and I taught there. I taught fifth grade math and ninth grade math. I think it is so tremendously important for students in the community to see people make it, as we say, and then come back, right, and help. Because one, it's showing me, hey, I can be from here, because to be completely honest, right? And because I can be honest with Dr. Dalton, okay? <laughs> um, there's a lot of negative stereotypes or negative notions about East St. Louis and the citizens from East St. Louis. Uh, and sometimes children internalize that. And so they need people who, who they can relate to, people who are from those same streets, you know, the same neighborhoods to come back and show them, hey, if that person made it and they're from this place, I can also make it. Right. Do you have a, a special person that uh, helped you uh, make it out of uh, East St. Louis and uh, a, a mom, a dad, a grandma, mm -hmm. a teacher? What is the saying? It takes a village. Uh, I had a whole village, a whole village. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom is a tremendous woman. She is the epitome of what it means to be a great mom. I just love her. Uh, she supports me in every single thing I do. My dad has been supportive. My whole family is really, really supportive um, in whatever we want to do, right? 
So my mom, since I was a little kid, has always told me, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. Um, and why some people that's crazy considering the circumstances, I just, I believed her. I believe that. And so I went forward. I went forward. I had teachers in, in high school and middle school, elementary school, even that just really invested in me. Uh, and, and it's like, if someone investing you that much, um, like taking me on trips that weren't necessarily school trips, just paying out of their pockets so I can have exposure to different things. Like the very first time I ever went to a play, it was my uh, fourth grade teacher that took me, you know, to the play. So just people exposing me to things like that. It was a, it was a lot of people. Uh, and then when I got to Lincoln University, again, I met people that were just investing in me. Uh, my, my The passport that I actually have um, I still have a, a woman that works at Lincoln University named Ruth Canada. I'm not sure what she does there now, but I do know she's still there. She actually paid for my passport and she told me, you're going to go places, you know, you're going to go places and, and this is going to help you. And it's so when people invest in you that much, you, you really, you do a disservice if you don't go back out into the community and invest in other people. So yeah, it was a whole team. It was a whole team. Mara Argetti introduced me to research, which completely changed my life, completely changed my trajectory because I didn't really know what I was. I mean, I knew I wanted to be in psychology. I knew that, um, but I had no idea about this whole other aspect of it, this whole research component. And so, I mean, it was just, it was a, it was a lot of people. Um, that played a, a whole lot of different roles. And, 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 and Dr. Dalton, you actually was one of the people, <laughs> I tell people this story all the time, <laughs> that introduced me to herbal tea. I had no idea what herbal tea was. <laughs> they just basically showed me, you know, how to relax, calm down. Because when you're in, you know, when you're in school and you feel like I got to make it, I got to make it, I got to be 10 times good, I got to I gotta go, go, go. You don't even really notice the small accomplishments right? Like they just go, they just fall to the back because you got to get on to the next thing. And it was when I took your class and we would have those meetings in your office. We always had tea and, and, and it just showed me like, you can relax, like you can just relax, <laughs> you know, take a break, enjoy the little things, you know, uh, celebrate your small successes and then move on. So it was you, a lot of people. Do you remember when you came into my office that uh, the bright lights were not on, I that do. it was just a soft lighting around the room and and uh and a relaxing atmosphere for students to come into which was intentional it was it was so that you could experience uh, a breath take a breath just sit back comfortable chair yeah and i miss that i do remember that i remember all of that thanks for sharing that story uh yeah. you and dr argetti uh, actually did some pretty important mm -hmm. things together that uh, mm -hmm. are still being used out in mm -hmm. the world. Can you tell us about uh, why and, and what this uh, uh, test or uh, evaluation tool that you were mm -hmm. putting together? Mm -hmm. So the, uh, me and Dr. Getty's story is uh, a continuous one. <laughs> uh -huh. I talk to her every day. Um, and one of the things that we did at Lincoln, there was uh, a grant that she had actually wrote a grant. It was for the National Science Foundation. And they wanted someone to conduct research to try to find out why underrepresented minorities were not seeking STEM fields. 
and how could we kind of increase their motivation or their interest to go into these fields? Excuse me, uh, STEM fields. Can oh. you expand on that, please? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> the jargon. Uh, STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math. Right. Uh, so we wanted to know why uh, people weren't going into those disciplines. And just to give a little backstory, okay? Freshman year of college, ended up being broke, super broke. Did not want to ask anybody from home for money because I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. So I said, you know what, I'm going to work. I'm going to work next semester, next year, so sophomore year. Uh, and I ended up getting a job as a student worker in the human resource office. And I was also a tutor. Uh, I tutored in psychology. I tutored in... Uh, it was another class what was it it was a nursing class like death and bereavement uh -huh. and then I I saw this opportunity now to be completely honest I jumped at the opportunity not because I immediately understood the utility of having a skill like research but because it was offering me ten dollars an hour and I, as a broke college student I'm like I need that money <laughs> wonderful wonderful so, so I applied, I met with her, we had a conversation, we had an interview, and I was brought on to the project. Um, and we, all, we created a project called the Student Support Needs Scale. And what it does is uh, assesses uh, different support systems with, within institutions. So we looked at things like uh, feedback. How is the feedback the student is receiving from the instructor? Uh, is, it, is it good? Is it bad? Does it work? Is it effective or ineffective is a better way of saying that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've looked at financial burdens um, and time management. We looked at a whole lot of different student support uh, mm -hmm. needs. Uh, and we used this scale to say, to really identify, hey, where are we lacking as an institution in, in terms of supporting our students because then if we know where we're lacking, we can create interventions, we can create programs, we can create a solution to support these students and mm -hmm. push them through, um, especially with retention because that was one of the things that we were really focusing on at that time. And people do use it. People email us all the time, even now. Uh, someone just emailed a week ago about using the scale mm -hmm. um, and just how can they use the scale depending on if they have a large number of students versus a small number of students and, and things like that. So it is really, really, it's been really helpful. And I'm happy that it's helping students. So that's the support. student support needs assessment? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I understand that uh, in, in learning and doing the research, you had what, about 300, uh, was yes. it mostly Lincoln students that you recruited? Yep. We had about 300 students from Lincoln University, pretty diverse sample. Well, majority black and white, uh, pretty much split down male, female. Uh, and it was, it was a pretty good sample. It seemed to show also that half were in STEM classes yes. and half weren't. So yes. really a, a very uh, interesting mix of, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better uh, complement of, of mm -hmm. research subjects. Yeah, and you bring up a good point. How did I forget that? Because what we ended up showing with the scale was it not only worked for STEM students, as you pointed out, but it also worked for non-STEM students, uh, which I think is what helps make the scale a success because then you can see, okay, what are the support needs for students that are not in STEM majors and how can we move those students forward? Mm -hmm. So it was really, I'm happy you pointed that out. So that actually, somebody could look it up online and... Uh, would they just be able to use it or do they have to contact you to be able to use it? Like, is it, uh, is there some uh, ownership or, you know, 
however that works. I don't know. How would people do that? They would be able to use it if you want to assess the student needs. You would be able to use it. However, you may have to contact either me or Dr. Argetti only because it's in a closed journal. So um, if you try to get it on your own, you'll have to pay for it. Okay. But if you contact me or Mara or Dr. Argetti, we could um, share the scale with you, which is basically a survey. We could share the survey with you. We could share um, the actual article with you. Yeah, wonderful. And that would be. Do you actually promote it? Say, for instance, does the uh, education school there at Mizzou, mm -hmm. are they interested in using a tool like that? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> I have never actually promoted the scale, which is, I think that's a thing. That's just some, one, I think I was so young when we got when we got involved, when we started doing it. And, and even though I thought it was tremendously important, I didn't really know how important it was in terms of marketing and make sure other people knew about it. Because the people that know about it are the people that's discovering it, right? Through maybe a Google Scholar search or some kind of academic search. But I like the idea and, and that you just gave me of actually telling more people about it mm -hmm. to let them know that it exists mm -hmm. um, and that they can use it. I really love that idea. I actually may go back in and actually tell more people about that at, at the University of Missouri. And I think by now uh, there would be quite a few folks that have used it that would be able to give feedback uh, exactly. on a positive. Uh, I even saw one uh, research study that was taking your assessment and testing how it could be improved. <laughs> That's nice. I like that. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, it's there. I like that. Yeah. I would love to see that study. Could you send that to me? Well, um, I, did, I you know, I, it was right there in the list. I just put in the, the name of your oh, okay. assessment and it was one of those in the first window of uh, hits that came up on. I like that. Yeah, I like that. This is what it's all about. You know, we we put out things to help students or whatever it may be, whether it is um, reducing depression, reducing anxiety, whatever these skills are measuring. And if there are ways that we can improve that, then we should improve them. And, and I was thinking even students in different communities um, like East St. Louis could probably take this scale. And that could give their district some idea of the support systems and how well they're doing at meeting those student support needs. Uh, and maybe offer some intervention in, in that realm as well. I was thinking the same thing that why not high school students or, or even middle school students because back at that level is where the support can be so much more effective. Agree, I agree. If it gets, uh, built in early on. I yeah. agree. Hey. 100%. Well, we're going to watch this take off in the next few years as you... We uh, shall see. <laughs> as you get more time, uh, you know, through with your studies. Are you doing an internship uh, right now or will you be doing some kind of a practicum mm -hmm. uh, to finish out your requirements for your PhD? Mm-hmm. I have not done an internship. Um, I've done training with uh, the American Institute of Research, uh, also called, um, at least this part, called the National uh, Assessment of Educational Progress. I've done trainings with them. 
I have, I'm teaching right now. Oh yeah, right, graduate. Yeah, I teach right, statistics. Yeah. I love statistics. I love teaching statistics. Uh, I like the students, you know, I like that moment when they get it and you can see that they get it. I mean, I really love, I enjoy it. So right now I am just writing. I am in the writing phase. Oh. Um, I have looked at uh, internship opportunities that I may or may not engage in this semester, this summer, because I just, I need to write. <laughs> yeah, sure. Oh yeah, sure. What's yeah. your dissertation uh, title? Um, I really don't have a title for the dissertation yet, but what I am looking at is, well, I have a title, but it, it will change. Yeah. It's like the examination of longitudinal predictor factors uh, for African-American students. Mm-hmm. And so I am look, I'm using a national data set, which is the ad health data set. Um, it's like adolescent study. Uh, and it's like, it got a lot of um, uh, variables in it. So you can look at things like mental health and anxiety. You can look at all these other things and see how this relates to academic achievement. So I'm interested in what, what the study is going to show. Mm-hmm. Are you doing uh, uh, on the ground, so to speak, study uh, where you have subjects yourself or are you doing a search of other uh, research and manip- you know, using the numbers mm-hmm. that they get? Yep, that was a good question. So I am using data that already exists uh-huh. and it has a lot of subjects. I think my data set right now has at least 4,000 subjects. Oh my goodness. 4,000 students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a pretty, pretty huge data set. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. And, then you- and given, the, given the restrictions of COVID, I'm kind of happy that I went that way now because I have other peers that are just like at a halt, at a standstill because they can't collect data right now. Oh, wow. Yeah, I can see how that would be a problem. Uh, so your research has actually been pretty well completed and your writing is looking at what you come up with and putting it into the different uh, chapters of your dissertation. Mm-hmm. I'm just, so right now when we write, we always have to do some background research just to see what's already been done. Sure. Uh, and so so we usually call this part like a literature review because we're just reviewing right. the literature. Um, and so most of the literature review is written, um, and I'm just looking at the methods again to see which what kind of analytical approach I should take, because it really depends on what how my outcome variables are measured, uh, whether they're numbers or categories or things like that. So I'm looking at all of that all of that right now. Uh, you're making me remember uh, my committee that I had. See, I was in the the education school there for my PhD at Mizzou. Nice, I did not know that. Health and physical education. And my one committee member was the statistics guy. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I remember so well him meeting, uh, well, having his class and then his con- his comment was, I know that 95 or more percent of you all won't understand anything about statistics. And so I don't want you to worry about it. I'm going to take care of it for you. <laughs> but you know, nice. I was like, oh, bless you, man. 
<laughs> that is so nice. OMG. One of my committee members actually told me because I was going to do a simple, a very, very simple analysis. And I was in his office speaking with him about this. And this was actually for my thesis. And I thought, oh, he's going to let this go because it's, a th it's my thesis. It's, you know, I should be able to do something simple. And he said, so you think you're just going to come in here and do regression? Oh, no. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so you got it good. You got it very, very good. Well, I think your person understood your background and having skills mm -hmm. that you should that you should uh, honor and 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 use to. I think my teacher knew that I had Zippo skills. <laughs> and that's important, knowing our strengths and weaknesses. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. So, can we talk a little bit about Mizzou and uh, this? Uh, this situation that uh, black students and as I'm understanding faculty uh, find themselves in at mm -hmm. a campus on a campus that is predominantly white. Mm -hmm. and, and how have you as a student viewed your experience there uh, in, in navigating this uh, fact of life? I think and, and I, I spoke with this, I spoke about this to a student at Lincoln when I was there helping recruit people for grad school or for Mizzou. And I'm not sure if it is, if it depends on the department that you're in, if it's not diverse enough, uh, or the professors in the department that you're in is not diverse enough, or whether you're an undergraduate or graduate student. Because to be quite honest, as a graduate student, I am hardly ever on campus, ever, uh, unless I am there teaching in class or in class. Other than that, I don't, I'm not there. But I, I would imagine that it's very different for a student that is living on campus, uh, that is, you know, predominantly white, where they may face microaggressions and some other things, other discrimination. I can't imagine that. And, and this is one of the reasons why I so much appreciate and value my experience at Lincoln because that was not a thing like I, I didn't I didn't go through that mm -hmm. um and so I'm not entirely sure I don't, I'm not entirely sure how it feels because I'm not on campus enough to mm -hmm. to be in in the mix of it in the climate of it mm -hmm. uh, when it's happening mm -hmm. you know okay so you live off campus is what I you're do. Saying. And, I do. and yet you do live in Columbia I do live in Columbia. So you interact with the Columbia community. I do. And uh, how have you seen the Columbia community interact in the diverse and, um, I don't know, uh, intersectional way that things could happen, but uh, may not? Um, I think it depends on where you are, mm -hmm. uh, who the people are. I'll tell you, I've only really had one incident in Colombia that was odd. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, was, I was riding my bike, basically. I was riding my bike. And I, I don't know if it was rules that you can or cannot ride your bike on a sidewalk. Maybe that's a rule. Um, but when we're riding um, on campus, a lot of us ride our bikes on the sidewalk, a lot of students. 
And I remember this lady standing, like I'm riding my bike and she stands in the middle of the sidewalk so that I have to basically like really quickly move around her. Sure. Right. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And, and, and I and I remember her saying something like yelling, like ride it in the street or whatever. And I'm just like, it was a it was a moment there. Mm-hmm. We had to we had some we had to have a conversation about that because oh. one you you put me in danger of harming myself because you need you felt like you needed to do that for whatever reason I'm not sure no one's on the sidewalk you were not on the sidewalk you deliberately put yourself in harm's way and put me in harm's way by putting yourself in harm's way so that was a situation that we had to have some conversation about that. Um, but I think just con- considering the climate in general, the, the climate that we're living in in general, and when you talk about just being, uh, you know, more humane, humans, being more, more kind, more, right. more compassionate. Right. I think a lot of that people need experiences. You need to be educated about the very multitude of people that live in this country. Okay, because it is a very, very diverse country. And I think ignorance, ignorance in many, in many ways is bliss and, and people have stereotypes, they have negative ideas about people that they never even, you know, interacted with, mm-hmm. you know, had true, authentic interactions and relationships with. And I, and I think that's necessary, uh, especially now, especially given everything um, that we've seen last year, this year, mm-hmm. um, we need to just be more educated mm-hmm. about each other because we are truly more alike than we are different. But I don't think people see that because, you know, the first thing that they see is what you look like. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they just judge you based on that. I, I remember Ruben saying uh, on the show last week that uh, with the genome project, it's very clear that genetically, all humans are more than 99.9% mm-hmm. identical. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just that little less than 0.1% that mm-hmm. uh, uh, makes all of this issue. So mm-hmm. it, it really kind of gets to psychology. It, we're not born with thoughts. So it's the thoughts that mm-hmm. enter into our head Exactly. And the cultural um, biases of those mm-hmm. thoughts. And so it has nothing to do with our bodies. It has everything to do with the, what I call the memes, the, the exactly. mimetic uh, world that transmits cultural information, mm-hmm. which uh, you being in psychology, educational psychology, mm-hmm. uh, have you, have you talked or had classes that talk about that kind of uh, cross-cultural communication, mm-hmm. uh, those issues? Mm-hmm. I haven't had a class that talk about it, but I've written about it in papers. And, and I really just started thinking about it when I was at Lincoln in, in psychology at that time. And I think messages shape perceptions and perceptions shape beliefs and your beliefs will manifest themselves into behaviors. Uh, Now, whether that's microaggression, whether that's you treating someone a certain way because you have these beliefs about them. Uh, And I I think it's dangerous, you know? And I think what we see in social media, social media, media, um, movies, you know, all all types of media, 
it's a perpetuation of stereotypes, mm -hmm. right? If, if you're continuously perpetuating stereotypes, people are going to believe those stereotypes. I was reading an article actually, and, and I wrote about this in my thesis, that um, it was a study done with teachers uh, and they were basically assessing their perception of competence in students. And so they would have teachers uh, examine um, black students, black boys, this, this study was about boys, black boys and white boys. And basically if, if the black kids, what they said had black movements, I don't know what that means, um, but it was described in the article as strolling, maybe hunching over, something like that, then they were perceived as less competent, academically competent. Mm -hmm. um, whereas if they took on, you know, if they behaved more like their white counterpart, then they were seen a little bit more competent. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what is that? You know, that, what, what? That makes no sense. And, and, I, and I've seen it many, many, many times in the research. Um, one, because I, I, I was, doing research on the academic achievement gap and how it has kind of transformed from being a term that was, you know, just communicating differences between students in terms of their academic outcome to now carrying with it a notion um, that Black students are going to underperform. They're going to inevitably underperform. Um, so it went from being an outcome variable to having this whole notion around it. Um, and in the study that I read, the teachers, the study was about how much the teacher would prioritize uh, academic outcomes of students. And they framed it in several different ways. They framed it as uh, the racial achievement gap, and then they framed it as um, the inequities gap or something like that. And what the researchers found was that when they framed it as the racial achievement gap, teachers did not prioritize it because teachers internal then internalized, well, yeah, black kids are not as smart. So why, why should we prioritize that? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, you know, and, and, and again, because these notions are continuously being perpetuated. Right. So we're all, I think a little bit, we're all at fault as well. Like the researchers, because this is the way we are communicating. We communicate things differently. We're not saying intelligence is innate. We're not saying your race is going to be a determinant factor of your intelligence, but somehow the message is being misconstrued, right? right. Like, it's, it doesn't matter what our intent is. Somehow we are guiding people to believe these things and movies help and, and the media helps and everything else are perpetuating these notions. Mm -hmm. So we need to fix that. Fix the way we're sending the message. Rewrite the message maybe. Mm -hmm. different okay. Uh, you have a suggestion for one message that needs to be addressed? Uh, in your view? Yes. So I think, and I, I've seen people do this in many ways. So, so the message with the achievement gap, it can be, um, it can be restructed, you know, reconstructed rather. Uh, people can say it in a different way uh, that would not imply that one's race is gonna determine how they perform. And, and, and again, initially, initially, back when this term came about in the 60s, it was not necessarily a term that carried with it, black students will always underperform because they're black. Um, but now, and, and I'm not sure what happened between then and now, um, but it is a term. And so you do see people, you know, kind of push back against it and 
some of the different frameworks, the different ways of thinking that has come about is um, things like the discipline gap. So this looks at, you know, how black students in particular are disproportionately punished in classrooms and how that may affect academic achievement. So Right. Like it's, it's just like an encapsulation of things that we are missing. Uh, one of the other gaps is the opportunity gap. So this actually looks at access to quality um, educational, you know, opportunities mm -hmm. and programs. Because when we look at the research, we do know that in impoverished areas, uh, kids are more likely um, to have, unfortunately, teachers that are not as qualified. Mm -hmm. um, they're more likely to have... Uh, you know, poor learning facilities, uh, resources, and things like that. Uh, this is what the study has, the research has always shown is, you know, since the Coleman report, which was the big one, right? Um, and so it's like, well, hey, let's look at it as the opportunity gap. Let's reframe it. Uh, because right now the idea with the, with the achievement gap, it places all the onus on the student. Is there something wrong with you? At least this is the way that today it is viewed right now. And so we don't want to place the onus on the students, we don't say it's all you. I mean, you do contribute it to, right? You have to take some responsibility in your learning, but it is not all you, you know? So there's a different ways to look at it. The discipline gap, the opportunity gap. Uh, there's another one that's like educational uh, debt, which basically uh, really kind of includes everything. Um, just historically being kind of outside of education, not even being legally able to get an education. Um, the economical, uh, the economics to it in terms of being in communities that has, you know, poor funding and things like that. So there are different ways. And I think we can start using those ways. Uh, this one, uh, I brought up this one because there are already ways out there that you can talk about it differently. Okay. Now, what's going to happen is that some listeners are going to point to you and say, Yes, but you came from East St. Louis. Uh, there were gaps here and gaps there and gaps here. And look at you. You are a successful. So if you can do it, anybody can do it. Can you speak to that? That is a great point to make. And I, I, I would say to the listeners, um, what, what is not being considered? Even when you talk about me, what is not being considered is the support system that was around me. And that support system that was around me may not be around the other, the next kid from East St. Louis. So you have to think about it this way, right? So I love gardening, right? I love to garden. I like to plant, like plant vegetables and things. But if I had bad soil, it doesn't matter how, how much I nurture that seed, how much I water it, give it sunlight, it's probably not going to grow. And so, yeah, my soil was good and I made it. I came from East St. Louis and I made it, but someone else's soil may not be. Someone else's support system may be lacking. And so that's, that's why uh, what, what me and Dr. Dawn sound about here, if we could use um, some scales or some kind of assessments to figure out what are other students, our yeah. children in those communities lacking and how can we, how can we you know, help them? How can we move them along? Right. So that's what I would say. Excellent answer. Excellent. <laughs> and um, let me shift a little bit from that to uh, something else that you are a part of, I think, mm -hmm. is uh, I saw this come up on your LinkedIn page. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, folks, I, I, I fail to mention Precious Hardy's name enough, but this is uh, my guest today is Precious Hardy, a, a PhD candidate at uh, Mizzou in educational psychology. Mm-hmm. And I believe you're part of Graduate Scholars of Excellence. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So I, I see a picture here, and it's a, a picture of beaming uh, male and female, uh, predominantly uh, students of color. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you tell us about what Graduate Scholars of Excellence is? Absolutely. So Graduate Scholars of Excellence is uh, an, an organization that really at its, at its core is a mentorship organization for underrepresented students um, that, are, that are moving through uh, the University of Missouri. So these are undergraduate students. Um, so ma- mainly the reason why you see undergraduate, underrepresented people in the pictures because we're mentoring. And we want them to have some relatability or at least feel like um, because it's, it's, it's difficult when you say, well, you made it, but you don't get me. You're not like me. We realize that's a thing that people push back on. Um, and so we wanted to have students be able to link up with people that they felt like uh, they could relate to, uh, to help them, to help them move through and teach them about, you know, all of the hidden rules of college, because there are so many, um, and hopefully motivate them to go on to graduate school or anything else that they want to do. We pretty much um, we pretty much mentor them um, for academic and career and sometimes personal, actually a lot of personal. If that's what they want to talk about, then that's what we talk about. Uh, so I've, I've mentored students through this program from pretty much all over St. Louis, Kansas City, all over uh, surrounding Missouri anyway. Uh, and it, it's been a great, it's been fun. I have relationships with them. Now we're only required actually by the program to to mentor them for a year, but I always keep in touch with my students even well after um, our relationship contractually is has ended. And it, and it has been great. So we mentor students, academics, life, career, uh, but we also have a lot of professional development opportunities for ourselves, the program offers us. And so we'll have different workshops like grant writing um, and things like that, just a multitude of things really. But it helps. It all helps. It helps shape us. We pour into students and the organizations pour into us. Um, again, the, the investment is a key piece. So it's great. Of course, you have to have some merit. Uh, so you need to have make sure your GPA is good and things like that. That's why we're called Graduate Scholars of Excellence, because, you know, academically, we were, you know, we're. we're I think uh, I think Larry Ross uh, commented that you might uh, might have still have, I don't know, a 4.0, at least yes, somewhere along is. your, <laughs> yes. this is a uh, high five 20 times <laughs> over. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Uh, I do, I do. And it, and it wasn't easy, okay? It's not easy. I, I think I had one class that was a, a statistics class called structural equation modeling. And I, I promise you all, <laughs> It was tough. I, I, many days, I didn't know if I was going to make it. Oh, <laughs> that was the hardest A minus because I got an A minus that I ever earned in my life. Okay. Oh, wow. That's terrible. An A minus. <laughs> yeah, so now I'm like 3.9, some, 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 3.98, something, something. Okay, oh, so. well. Oh, well. 
oh, who's who counts that? Right, we don't count that. We round up. That's what statisticians do. Right. <laughs> round up. So, do you get? Did you get assigned to uh, a mentor? Do they, or do you get to choose a men? I mean, a, a mentee mm -hmm. in that program. How does that get set up? So, one of the things that they look at, they assign us our mentees. And they look at a range of things. Um, the person that does it, she actually knows us very well. She's like the coordinator for the whole program. And she looks at things like, where are the students from? I actually have a mentee this year that is from East St. Louis, actually. Uh, she looks at where is the student from? What's their major? What do they want to go into? Like if they want to go into psychology, well, you know, I'm an educational psych psychology. I have the, uh, the foundational psychology background from Lincoln. Uh, and so I'll get paired with students that want to go into any branch of psychology. Uh, but if there are stu um, graduate students or members of the program that have, um, that are in psychology programs like counseling, then they'll match with that student. But if not, I'll match with the student because I am in psychology. Will you end up as uh, a professor after you get your completion of your PhD or, or will you be a psychologist that practices in some other way? What kind of career trajectory do you see for yourself? Oh my God, I'm still trying to figure it out actually. Okay. <laughs> you know, before COVID hit, and I actually did a, a, a feature with um, what CNBC, uh, they, they wrote an article about students and, and navigating COVID and changing your career uh, path because of COVID. And before COVID, I knew for sure 100% that I was going into academia. Uh, you couldn't tell me otherwise. Uh, but when COVID happened, I had peers that had graduated that year and had job offers, were given the jobs that then got an email saying, hey, I know we offered you this job, but we're gonna to have to rescind that offer, you know? And there was a lot of uh, hiring freezes and I was like, oh my God, this is scary. This is very scary. And so I started looking into other avenues, uh, career avenues, like like going into industry. Um, I do have a mentor um, that is with uh, a American Institute of Research. Um, and so maybe going there and working, of course you have to have merit, right? You don't just get in because you know somebody, uh, but at least trying. So looking at these different things, looking at research opportunities. Um, I've looked at a multitude of things now. I, I still, even though I'm a year away, I still honestly do not know because I'm not sure what the world is gonna look like when I graduate. Sure. Um, in a perfect world, I would I would go into academia for sure. Uh huh. Okay. I love teaching. All right. Uh, something just triggered my my memory that uh, at the beginning you talked about going to China, mm -hmm. and that maybe we would talk about that some more later. Mm -hmm. uh, that seemed out of the blue to <laughs> know that. My goodness. You, you got out of Lincoln and you went to China? <laughs> Who does that? That's hilarious. So that China happened because, uh, again, uh, the same woman who brought my passport, Ruth Canada, learned about this opportunity to teach in China. Mm -hmm. 
And she she just emailed this to me and was like, hey, you know, you should check this out. This might be something you want to do. And even though I had already been accepted into a program, it was actually a social psychology program um, in another state. I can't remember the state. I didn't end up going there, though. Uh, and so I spoke with them. I deferred my uh, enrollment there. And I went to China. And so it was the program was actually called uh, Amundsen Year in China. Uh, so you would spend a whole school year in China teaching children oral English. So just how to speak English. Uh, and so I think the cool thing about that was that for the most part, most of the students already knew English. Um, they just needed to learn, you know, how to actually speak English uh, properly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I was there. It was crazy it was scary I, I even thinking about it now i was like how crazy could i have been because i knew no one in china absolutely no one uh and i was just gone i was just on the plane gone headed to china <laughs> uh and so when i got there of course we had our little orientation with all the other people that were we had it in shanghai actually which is a huge huge place and we had our orientation with the other Americans that were there and again none of us knew anyone so we're, we all discussed like are we actually crazy for doing this um and so after having all our training sessions and things like that we went on to our designated locations I was about an hour away from Beijing uh and we just started teaching you know and, and I, I'll say the experience was different because while I was used to being for some people, it was hard for them being the minority. I was already used to that because I live in America. <laughs> I'm American. I am a minority. So, so it didn't bother me that much to be a minority in China. But it was just, I didn't expect to be so easily welcomed because of things that I had seen on TV about the way African-Americans or Black people were treated in China. Uh, but I didn't experience that at all. Uh, in fact, it was like the opposite uh, people wanted my art autograph. I don't know if they thought I was famous or not. <laughs> they wanted to take pictures with me. I had a few people ask me for my phone number and I'm like, uh, no, you can't get my phone number, <laughs> but I'll take a picture. Uh, so it was, it was really interesting. The students were really helpful. They always wanted to show you around, take you out to dinner and have you meet their family and things of that sort. And so it was really fun teaching over there and, and, and seeing, you know, a different culture up close, you know, in their own element, seeing them. Were you in uh, a, were you in an English enclave? Uh, I mean, in terms of living or were you? So I actually lived on campus, which is oh. interesting because uh, I don't feel like we have schools like that here in America. Maybe we do, maybe private schools or something. Uh, but the teachers there, if you were a foreign teacher, you lived on campus. They had apartments built inside of the school. That's how huge the school was. Um, so I had my little apartment inside of the school, which was nice because when I had to teach, you know, I just walk out, go to my classroom. Also, students lived on campus. Students that lived too far, so students that may live in the rural area of China, they lived on campus also. Uh -huh. um, and students were responsible for keeping the campus clean. Uh, there were no janitors. So the, the students cleaned up for the most part inside, outside. I thought that was very different, you know. 
Um, so yeah, I lived on campus. Yeah. And I, I got to see really how um just like being successful academically mm-hmm. was taking so so serious there, so serious to the point where if a student did poorly on an, on an assignment, I mean it was a show, you know, like they felt horrible hmm. you know and they felt like they were bringing shame to their family like they had to do well wow. uh, and when I was over there I ended up getting involved in some research that was trying to identify stressors because they had some students that were literally committing suicide because they weren't passing a certain test so there's a test that they take um, in China where you have to take the test before before you can even apply to college. Hmm. Like if you don't do well on the test, you cannot ap- apply to college. You you need to go find another career. And I thought, whoa, that's, whoa, you know? I, I mean, I never even, you know, fathom a thing existing. You know? So it was interesting seeing the differences, mm-hmm. you know, between the two. Um, but it made me understand, you know, a lot mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how, how, it, how education is valued there. Even though it's valued here, it's a little bit different. Well, we know that uh, that not everybody is cut out for college. That's true. And, uh, a, lot of, a lot of businesses want to train you anyway in the way that they want you to operate in their uh, uh, space. So uh, why don't we have a test that... <laughs> Uh, helps people understand where they would best fit in mm-hmm. with their uh, skill sets or their. That's interesting. That is very interesting. Yeah. So yeah, we shall see. It so, was fun though. And I, I actually remember one of the teachers taking me to her where she grew up mm-hmm. and it was very rural China. Um, uh, and all the, all the buildings were made out of stone. And I, I felt like I was in a movie, like a Jackie Chan movie. Oh, was wow. pretty cool. Um, and when, when we got to the house, I realized that uh, at the house, there was no, you know, there was no shower or anything like that. Uh, the way that we would bathe is we, we got water and then we would warm that water up and everyone had like a bucket. You had like your own bath bucket, mm-hmm. so to speak. And that's how you got clean, you know, and the, the bathroom was still the outhouse, you know, it was a stone outhouse. You go out there and, you, and use the bathroom. Mm-hmm. So it was very, it was very different. You know, her, her, her parents, her dad was a former. And so I was like, wow, you know, and, and that's what I'm talking about. I think we need that exposure. Mm-hmm. We need to have authentic connections with people of different cultures, authentic relationships, mm-hmm. because I think then, then there will be real change if we have those, more of those. So we have to create environments for that kind of uh, relationship to develop, which goes back to the bridge. It was Mm -hmm. actually created to help uh, build those kinds of authentic relationships for people advantage of it, yeah. But uh, maybe it just needs to be more emphasized. It's it's hard to... uh, force it to happen it is it's very hard it's very hard you don't want to do that (laughs) yeah well precious hardy 
a PhD candidate working on your uh, dissertation writing, uh, a whiz in statistics. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, every other subject, it sounds like. Uh, this, is, this is exciting. It, did you, were you familiar with uh, Concerned Student two, uh, Concerned Student yes. 1950 when it was? Yes, yes I was, yep. So you must have come back from China. I was still at Lincoln, that happened in 2015. Uh, oh. I was uh, vice president of the SGA at that time. Oh. So we were very familiar, yeah. We were uh -huh. very and so how did, how did that, I'm just, trying to kind of do some circling around here. Mm -hmm. How did that change Lincoln? Wow. Wow, what a loaded question. That's a and tough question. And I say it because I don't know that it did, but there were some significant administrative changes shortly after that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I think uh, academic vice president uh, was uh, removed, and and not too much after that, uh, Dr. Rome moved mm -hmm. on. That's true. Uh, that is true. The agriculture department was almost uh, wiped out um, for that some reason. So, I, you know, it's it's curious that I, I don't know if it had anything to do with concerned student one nine five zero and the climate at Mizzou, or if there were other factors that you all might've been feeling and, and expressing? Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, when that happened, and, and again, I was the, the VP, one of my good good friends was the vice president, was the president, Shemika Kelly. And and we, we had a meeting and we said, one of the things that that showed us outside of the, the issue that was at hand that we were of course, you know, feeling a way about was, wow, these students organized and they pushed and they got something done. And so it changed the way we were working with the administration um, because we were just, you know, having meetings with the administration about issues of the students uh, and, and trying to reason with them and all these things. But it was like, okay, we can use a different approach. Mm -hmm. We can use a, a different approach. Mm -hmm. and, and, we, and we didn't move forward with that. We didn't move forward using different approaches to get some things done. Mm -hmm. So we definitely learned from that situation. Yeah. Well, I'm back doing an adjunct class this spring at Lincoln. And uh, I just have been testing the waters a bit with students and, mm -hmm. and asking uh, about diversity training, for instance, mm -hmm. on campus. Is there, do you all see much uh, emphasis on learning this authentic relationship building and and talking cross-culturally and so on and so forth and nobody knew of anything anywhere going on that's crazy so uh, i just wondered if uh, maybe even in your connection with folks still at the at the school if you uh, had heard of anything no it is so interesting because Maybe they feel like they don't have to do that because it's a historically a predominantly black school. But the interesting thing is, is you know, the, the the students are predominantly black. The teachers are predominantly white. And so, yeah, we should be doing that. We should be having those conversations. We should be allowing them to to 
allowing, creating, cultivating, right? The environment to have those authentic conversations and relationships. And I don't think we we're doing that enough. I think Mizzou is doing it a lot because of what happened in 2015, which is good. Um, we can assess the effectiveness of that. Um, but I think we do need to, we need to allow for that to happen in rooms. Well, good. In our remaining uh, few minutes, do you um, have some words of wisdom for our uh, listening audience or any suggestions or uh, mm -hmm. uh, recommendations? Anything. <laughs> words of wisdom. Um, read. <laughs> I mean, just, I think one, stay true to you. Stay authentic to yourself. Um, in life, there, there may be issues, there may be challenges, things may arise, things may look glitter, they may glitter, it may gold, and you may want it, but do not ever compromise yourself um, for worldly successes, okay? Just don't compromise yourself, stay true to yourself, um, and realize there are going to be bar barriers, there are going to be hurdles, and all of those things, but you are capable, you are capable of getting over it, getting over those, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, can we uh, recommend your LinkedIn or so, yes. how would people contact you uh, if they wanted to say hi or learn about this uh, evaluation tool that you've helped develop or? Absolutely, you can contact me on LinkedIn. My name is Precious Hardy on LinkedIn. You can also contact me on Twitter. Uh, my name is underscore Precious Hardy on Twitter. I do respond. I will respond to anyone. I love having conversations. I love meeting new people uh, and talking about different things, okay? Learning their perspectives on things. Um, and so definitely feel free to meet, reach out to me. And thank you so much, Dr. Dalton, for having me on your show today. Oh, what a pleasure. So that's Precious, P-R-E-C-I-O-U-S, yes. Hardy, H-A-R-D-Y. Yes. And uh, if we go to Twitter, it's underscore first. Yep. All right. Well, th a great privilege to have you here uh, and to hear your story. I, I never knew your story so well. So thanks for sharing. Thank you. And uh, folks out there, uh, remember, uh, wherever you are, that is your world. Uh, so please uh, leave your world cleaner, more peaceful and more loving than you found it. Because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon.